Happy Monday and welcome back to a brand new week of the Apollo 13 Minute, a show where each and every day, Monday through Friday, we go over one minute of probably the greatest space history movie ever made, the 1995 Ron Howard directed feature, Apollo 13. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com. And I'm your other host, I'm Chris Henry from the EAA Aviation Museum. And Chris, we're already up to minute 101. That's and nuts, 101. This is it crazy. Is. I, just, I need to lay down and get you know, put a cold compress on. This is <laughs> <laughs> it's really it doesn't. Something. It doesn't feel like 101. It only feels no. like about 60. So yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, <laughs> we're we're just getting the stride. They're going to have to make a long. Maybe we can get the director's cut or something. Yeah, we'll go minute by minute on the uh, from the Earth to the Moon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That'll 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 fill in the empty hours. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, so we, we're, we're coming up to uh, this minute is uh, Minute 101, and uh, it's, uh, it starts out with a news anchor explaining uh, what, how the mid-course correction works. And uh, then we're going to get into some uh, grumman bashing, and then uh, we're going to go back to uh, uh, the anchor talking about uh, what, uh, how, how this mid-course correction is going to work for, uh, for us Earthlings to understand. Um, I love analogies. One of my favorite things is taking the unknown and, and putting it into the known. And he does one of my favorite ones uh, that kind of gets overused, but the uh, the idea of the Earth is the size of a basketball, and if the Earth were the size of a basketball, the moon would be the size of a baseball. He says it's 14 feet away, but the easier way to remember it is if the Earth were the size of a basketball, the moon would be a baseball 33 basketball widths away. That's if you picture <laughs> 33 basketballs. And there's the moon, which I think when you show that to people, and I have actually seen a demonstration of this with someone taking 33 basketballs and putting them side by side. When you actually see a demonstration of that and you see the size of the earth and see the size of the moon uh, and how far apart they are, it, it's one of those things you think that they're kind of, maybe the, the moon should be about uh, four baseballs away from the earth and it kind of circles around, but it's really far out there. There's a lot of empty space between the earth and the moon. Um and if you happen to have 33 base basketballs, or if you're in a sporting goods store and nobody's around, Josh, <laughs> it's something worth, it out. <laughs> yeah, something worth seeing. Um, <laughs> I, I, Chris, I know you must use a lot of analogies when you're explaining uh, flight. and. and we do, especially, you know, in the Aviation Museum, we're teaching about it. We're, we're educating maybe young people or people who uh, aren't uh, familiar with, you know, a lot of the aviation world. And, you know, we do want to relate it to, to things that they can understand or maybe get a better grasp on. Um, my favorite one recently that I saw, though, because uh, the news does love these, yep. is, and I kid you not, this this was on, this was on like the nightly news. They said 25%, they were talking about the virus, that's, that we're recording this during the whole coronavirus uh, yeah. ordeal, and um, they said 25% of something, and I don't remember what they were talking about, and then they said, that's one in four. <laughs> and I just sat there for a second, and I'm like, did, did they not know that we know 20, what 25% is? Or there was there was question about that? <laughs> you know, I didn't think that one needed an analogy, but apparently they're like, that's one in four. I'm like, all right, good to know. Wow. Well, <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I remember reading an article about uh, Wendy's. W Wendy's was trying to compete with, uh, with McDonald's, and McDonald's had the quarter pounder. And so 
uh, Wendy's had decided they would come, they would do them one better, and they'd sell a third pounder, and they kept pushing at third <laughs> pounder, and sales actually went down on their third pounders because. People, when they're doing math, they think one over three is smaller than one over four. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> we're doomed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's the end of the world. You know, no, we're never going to the moon again. That's all there is to it. <laughs> Game over, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that just really killed me. I, I really, usually I watch news and I'm like, wow, that, I learned something. Yeah. And that day I'm sitting there, I'm like, I can't believe I just heard that. Oh, <laughs> that was yeah, really no, crazy. it's like. It's like finding out that half the people are below average. It's just, you know. It, it, <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, that was funny. Wow, but uh, it is it, it is pretty accurate what they're what he's saying there that uh, uh, they what what is said in the in the movie right now is that if the Earth is a basketball and uh, the uh, uh, Moon is a baseball, dropping down out of the sky to make the right corridor to hit the uh, atmosphere, which is very thin. It, uh, the part of the atmosphere that they have to hit is the thickness of a piece of paper, which doesn't seem, you know, it doesn't seem like much, but when you're getting closer, the, the thing they're missing on this is as it gets closer, your piece of paper is getting thicker, and the, the, the closer you get, that paper is going to get wider and wider till it's, you know, you've got about seven degrees of uh, opportunity there between, well, between five, it, it's two degrees. But it's it, it, the width of, of the window that you're hitting is getting wider and wider. Much like uh, it's kind of the inverse of when you're when you're approaching a landing zone at an airport. You know, when you're when you're way out, you've got a big cone, and when you're getting really tight, it's just a little, you know, yeah, <laughs> strip kind of, of a runway. Funnel. Yeah, we, yeah, we call it the funnel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So this is this is it. But you know, uh, but still, it, it it is pretty accurate that there's a piece of paper. Here's a here's a weird. Uh, thing to think about as we're recording this and nobody's been back to the moon when we were recording this uh the okay so using that same thing of uh, the earth being the size of a basketball and the moon being a baseball 33 basketballs away since december of 1972 nobody's been further away from that basketball than the height of a plain m&m if you lay it down flat the flat side of a of an M&M. If you put that on top of the basketball, nobody's been further than a, an M&M's height away from the Earth. Wow. That's, that's the highest Earth orbit. So it's going to be, you know, the next time we go, we're going to have to make those that trip, that 33 basketball lengths away to get to the moon again. You know, um, the thing that always uh, uh, stands out with me uh, when, we, when we go through this and then we talk was the interview we had uh, with Mark Harmon. And Mark said the biggest thing that Wally Shira wanted me to take away from my time with him was that this was extremely hard. What they were doing was not easy. And they made it, you know, they had these successful missions and it almost made it seem easy. Um, but it was not. It was just, you know, space flight and, and going to the moon. Uh, it's tough and it's, it's, it's hard and it's unforgiving. Yeah, yeah, it's it's crucial that you know. I, I mean, and you know, the, more people are talking about uh, you know, like Elon Musk and things. They're talking about going to uh, uh, to Mars, and uh, we were we we're using this, this one is always mind-boggling to me. Okay, so we've talked about the distance from the Earth to the Moon, the basketball and the baseball being thirty-four basketballs. Now, if you want to use the um uh that that equivalent uh mars is a slightly deflated soccer ball that is 
15,782 basketball lengths away from Earth. Wow. So, you know, 33 versus 15 are closer to 16,000 uh, basketball lengths. So, uh, and that's just as the crow flies. I mean, it's, it, if, if you're using a home in orbit, it's probably going to be more like 30,000 basketball lengths. Uh, that's, yeah. that's incredible. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it's it's funny how you you know it's like you tr- even when you're trying to use something to bring it down to terms you can understand, <laughs> you're like thirty thousand basketballs. How much? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's just incredible. And I, and I know that you know, um, you know, the movie The Martian was was pretty good at, at you know explaining a lot of it. But uh, you know, it, it what what drives me uh, kind of crazy. And we talk about going to the Mars is. You know, it's gonna be they're like they're trying to figure out how to deal with the delay. You know, that yeah. there's gonna be a huge delay in communications and stuff, and it's like, my God, that that just seems like such a big barrier to try to overcome. And it, yeah, it I was mean, like it's, a 15 minute delay. I, I want to say, uh, thir- yeah, it's 13, 13 minutes. 13 or, yeah, minutes. Okay. Yeah, I knew I was in the ballpark there. But yeah, well, it, it goes it goes between. Uh, I mean, if it's on the other, if like if Mars is on the other side of the sun. We kind of get cut off, but as it's going yeah. around there, it gets up to about 24 minutes. So, yeah, you're going to just start, you know, it, it's the equivalent of email. You're just going to send videos and then hope they get it all, but you won't have a conversation. Jeez. You'll have one way. Almost like a message way. board kind of a setup or something, you know? Yeah, yeah. Gosh, that's wild. Wow. Yeah, so anyway. <laughs> well, I, missed it. I missed it by two minutes, so if, if each minute was a basketball. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> No, but that's 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 a good that's a good rule of thumb. It probably averages like fifteen <laughs> to twenty minutes. So you're, you're, you know, it's like you you can't. I mean, that, that's why that was always fascinating about the uh, when we were watching the Curiosity Lander. You know, they would talk about seven minutes of terror. There's nothing you could do from Earth. You just had to wait. Like like everything happened by the time you started getting information about the landing, which took seven minutes. So it you know it took seven minutes to land, but then you had to wait another fifteen minutes to find out if it had crashed or not. Gosh, that's wild. Um, so. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's it's a whole different. It, it is going to be. I mean, there's like that's when exploration turns into something more like Lewis and Clark. You know, they didn't know Lewis like when when Thomas Jefferson sent Lewis and Clark out to find you know to look at the uh, out in the, the Northwest. They didn't hear back from him for years because he had they had to go all the way out there and then they had to come all the way back to tell the story. So, jeez, <laughs> yeah, that's wow. Yeah, it's going to be like that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That, uh, Gosh, that that that's going to be an incredible journey. Yeah. Um. It, uh. Yeah. And it's. I mean. Well. Anyway. We, yeah. We can go. We can go even further off topic. <laughs> uh. The the next part of what we're what we do here after they come back from uh, the uh talking with the news anchors explaining about basketballs and such, uh, they go back to uh, mission control, and uh, uh, they have both flight controllers there. They have a. Uh, uh, flight directors there. They have Glenn Lunny, and he's making an announcement. And then uh, Gene Kranz is talking to the Grumman rep, and the Grumman rep is making all kinds of excuses about it. it's never been tried before, that they burn it and cold soak it and burn it and manual control and all this other stuff. It's never been done. And and uh, he, you know, he he tells him that I won't. I, Gene Gene Kranz is is telling the Grumman guy, I won't hold you personally responsible if it doesn't work. Um, that's. Absolutely, and we've said this so many times before, but that's not how Tom Kelly's crew worked. They 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 tried everything, they tested everything, they tested all kinds of stuff with that engine. 
the 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 descent engine was built with hypergolic fuels. If you just if you flood the chamber with the two main chemicals in it, it will ignite, and that you know it had to work right every time because there wasn't there weren't any backup systems, especially in the case of the ascent engine. They had to get off the surface of uh, of the moon, and they had to make and they could never test it on Earth. So they had to make sure that the thing that they built would work right every time. Um, and I just, it, it's frustrating that I don't understand why uh, Grumman didn't have more input into this movie. I mean, I, I understand from a dramatic point of view they wanted to make it so that there's some guy being nervous so the audience would get nervous. But sure. Grumman, Grumman had fantastic engineers. They were, they were renowned for their abilities. I mean, through World War II, the stuff that they built, the – the equipment, you know, not just the aircraft, but the instrumentation, the, the the black boxes that they put in these ships, they knew how to build things that that were durable and could you know could be counted on every time. I mean, they built they built seaplanes and things like the Grumman Goose. That you know, you think about having to build something that was waterproof as well as could fly. <laughs> you know, and they're, they called it the Ironworks. They called Grumman's yeah. uh, production, you know, the Ironworks, which is. Uh... Uh, a big compliment to the fighters and torpedo planes and eventually jet fighters that they were building. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they had to work in, you know, saltwater environments, and they knew how to make tough machines. Um, and you, you must have some Grumman equipment at EAA, I would think. Oh, yeah, yeah. And we have a, we have a Grumman duck in our museum, which is an amphibian airplane from World War II. Uh, we've had a few other Grumman aircraft uh, throughout the time in and out of the museum. Um, my favorite thing that I talk about uh, as a testament to the duration and how tough the stuff Grumman built was, was the F-14 Tomcat, which is of course the jet, you know, that uh, became famous from Top Gun. Sure. Um, that airplane was so rugged and that it, and it stayed around for so long that the Navy was basically saying like, look, we got to get rid of them. These things came out like right during Vietnam. <laughs> And the crews that were flying them were putting up a fight to not get rid of their airplanes. Um, and that's that's incredible to me that when you have, you know, if somebody waves something new and flashy in front of you, uh, a new car, new something, you don't usually typically want to hang on to the old one. Um, it, it, and these crews were saying, no, we want, we want to keep our Tomcats. And, uh, I mean, the airplane just retired just, you know, maybe, what, 2007 or eight. Yeah. Uh, you're talking about an airplane that was, you know, that came out basically during the tail end of Vietnam. Yeah, and it was metal. It wasn't, you know, like none, yeah. you know now with all these com, you know, carbon composite things and stuff that um, I've, I've, I've mentioned about watching them build the F-35, which is my my plane. I helped, <laughs> <laughs> I helped sell, sell that plane. But, uh, you know, there, there's all these modern, modern uh, achievements in it. But, yeah, something as rugged as a Tomcat came out of, uh, you know, a bunch of hard-bitten guys in Long Island. <laughs> <laughs> who, who they, you know, the, the people, if you meet anybody that worked for Grumman, they were fiercely loyal to that company. And, uh, and they believed, you know, much like we, we've talked about this before, that like you being a, an air traffic controller, that when you go in there, you're the best guy for the job. And I think everybody I've ever met from Grumman, they believed they were, you know, they were the gods of aviation. And they sure, knew. Sure. And th- this guy talking to Gene Kranz here, he's just not a Grumman guy. It's, that's not how Grumman people talk. No, no, and, and I, you know, I, I still wish that they would have told, you know, tell the real story of Grumman because I actually think it's it's just as compelling. Yeah. You know, uh, the, you know, could you imagine had they done that right? And and I love this movie. I'm not trying to gig on the movie too hard, but but 
you know, had they done done it differently, and you know, in this moment, you have the Grumman guy saying, "What we, you know, our guys will stand behind what we built." I mean, that's a proud moment, you know. And uh, yeah, I really wish they would have went a different route with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I, well, you know, I I get the feeling maybe maybe uh, Tom Hanks felt bad. <laughs> felt bad about that when he made from the earth to the moon because i think the uh, uh the, the apollo 9 episode yeah. uh it, it really makes makes up for uh this this slur on, it, on grumman's reputation a, that's a beautiful episode uh yeah. from the earth to the moon it's called spider and uh it is just it's from the music to the, the people who portray tom kelly and the others uh it's it's really a great uh, piece of film work yeah, and, and it really gives you the idea of what they faced in having to build from 1962. I mean, they, they had just won. You know, Mercury and Apollo were already under underway. I mean, North American Rockwell was building, or North American, I wasn't even Rockwell at the time. North American was building an Apollo, but there was nothing. There were, you know, there were pencil sketches on cocktail napkins. And they went from that in 1962, completely redesigning the original. Uh, uh, view of what the lunar module was going to look like uh, in a matter of months and paring it down, shaping it, uh, getting the weight right, getting the uh, getting all the moving parts, adding in two completely different uh, navigation systems just so that they had a backup that all all the the one backup you know the, the backup system handled nothing but abort in any different in any mode. I mean, from landing to taking off to you know pretty much just pushing the button. It, it was like an elevator button to get you out of there in a hurry. Um, yeah, it's just amazing. And they did this between 1963 and when the first model was delivered in um, the very beginning of 1969. So in six years, they had a working model. Actually, even before that, in 1967, Apollo 5, they launched a LEM. They got something into into space in a matter of four years. So it's, I, yeah. I can't can't help but sing the praise of the drum. They deserve it. And and watching that episode of From the Earth to the Moon. Uh, is a is a good way to clear up this understanding. It's, it's a good way to celebrate it, and the, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, anyway, we'll 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 chalk it up to a, a movie drama. Um, but uh, this is this is a good movie, despite yeah, it, it gave us a lot of talking points to talk. It did, it did. On the film. So uh, so we, we can we can enjoy minute one hundred one. You know, and I I almost but, think that that in a way that uh, there's a similarity between filmmaking and getting it right and telling the story 100% the way it was and aircraft restorations. I, and I noticed that, you know, there was a very 90s way of telling a story. There was a very 90s sort of method of restoring an airplane. Yeah. And in the last, you know, 20 years, an aircraft restoration, we've seen where people want those details. They soak them up like a sponge. They want the truth. Uh, in the restorations and I think that that is the same with fil- uh, making a film of the style uh, I think if Apollo 13 was made today uh, that it would it would be slightly different I think it would be a different take even if the same people were involved um, I think there's a few areas where they would have went differently just because it's a different time How, on, I guess it would depend on the model but on, on restoration uh, for museums how many do you work restorations to airworthiness well, see, it, it it depends. I think what happens is you need to start off knowing what you're restoring. And what I mean by that is um, you need to know the actual airframe that you have sitting in front of you. And if you find out... Um, so, 
you'll you'll see it a lot. You know, someone restores an airplane and they put it out on display and they they put it on Facebook. You know, and and right away it's well, it, it should be flying if if it's a static only. You know, and here's the problem with 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 that. It, it isn't a conversation of uh, or. It, it's a conversation of and. And what I mean by that is certain B-17s, let's say. Let's, let's, let's narrow it down to talking B-17s. Yeah. You know, certain B-17s should be restored as static display aircraft, not flown, kept on the ground in a hangar, in a climate-controlled building. And I'm going to give you a great example of that, and that's Memphis Bell. Yeah. Most famous B-17 out there, combat vet, flew 25 missions over Europe. And now with that airplane, you put all of the equipment back in it. You put the armor plating, the, you know, when you start putting all the equipment back in a B-17, it gets pretty tight to move around in. Now you have our airplane. Our airplane's called Aluminum Overcast. It was produced too late for the war. Uh, never saw combat or anything like that. You know, if that's the airplane, you put some creature comforts in and you take flying. Um, so it, it kind of depends on the restoration you want to do. And, you, and it all breaks down to what do you have? Do you have a... You know, do you have a machine that that was flown by Pappy Boynton? Then, well, maybe that one should go to a national museum where, well, this airplane saw combat or 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 was built too late for combat. You know, then you want to restore it and and fly it. You know, because they both they both serve important roles. Yeah. You know, so yeah. that that's kind of the, the the to be honest. And what's really come out in recent years is people want to know about the actual airframe sitting in front of you. You know, what did it do and. You know, people are going to great lengths to, to return them to their natural paint jobs and stuff like that. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I, and and you're faced with a lot of times on restoration, you're faced with well, what what era are you restoring it to? Because some some of them have you know they, they might have thirty years or forty years of service, and yeah. it's like, yeah. okay, are you going to do this for Korea? Are you going to do this for the Vietnam era? Are you going to do it for post Vietnam? Yeah. So, yeah, and and I, I mean, there, a, a good example of this. Is um, the seven hundred seven that twenty six hundred twenty six thousand that was uh, Air Force One? Yes, yeah. Uh, and that served everyone from Kennedy to Nixon. And, exactly. And right now it's it, it's put up the way. Well, Gerald Ford, I think, is the one that retired it, but uh, it's it, it it it's being displayed in the way that it arrived when Gerald Ford turned it over. So there were a lot of um, Johnson and Nixon made a lot of major internal changes to the the layout. So when you when you if you walk through it, there'll be famous pictures that you know the, the most famous picture in uh, in uh, that 707 is uh, Lyndon Johnson taking the oath of office while Jackie Kennedy stands next to him on November 22nd in uh, at Love Field. But <clears throat> when you look at the picture and then you look at the area in the plane where the picture was taken. They don't look at all alike because you know they've they've moved all the yeah it's like a galley the, or something now yeah like yeah it's yeah. It's, a, it's a turn and a it yeah it's, it it is like a hallway and then a turn and it's not yeah it's not the same thing so you could say well let's make it back to there but if you do that if you roll it back you're destroying all the stuff like this is how it this is how the plane was set up when Nixon went to China this is how the right. plane was set up when Nixon was flown back after after he re, uh, resigned to San Clemente. So yeah, it's you have you have to make all these decisions, and it's always a fascinating, uh, fascinating series of arguments or debates as to what you're what you're trying to restore. So as a matter of fact, just this is just recent. This isn't that long ago. 
um, they did return the aircraft to Kennedy's paint job. Um, just, just this is just yeah. not that long ago. They they did. Um, it, it's pretty. They were pretty close paint jobs. Oh yeah, um, yeah. But they did return it back to the day it lo- how it looked on the ramp in Dallas that day. Yeah. Uh, now the interior though is is how it was left. You know, so it, it's one of those deals where what do you you know going forward what do you do? Um, another great example. I was a docent there at the Air Force. Oh Museum, okay. So, oh good. Um, so you're uh, we're we're right up the same place. But it, you know, um, another I, I'll give you a great example is the C one forty one Hanoi taxi. Uh, they have the first C-141 that came in to uh, pick people up in, at POWs during POWs, Vietnam yeah. and get them out of there, out of the uh, Hanoi Hilton. And uh, so the airplane was called the Hanoi Taxi because it flew so many missions doing this. Now, it was a C-141A, I believe, and then it went through a retrofit to become a B after these missions. So the fuselage got stretched, and it you know it wore different paint jobs over the years. Um when the Air Force Museum went to look for an aircraft for a C-141 for their collection, they picked Hanoi Taxi, and it was just about going through a repaint, so it was still on active duty, uh, so they repainted it in active duty in the markings that wore the Hanoi Taxi with the white roof and everything. Um, but the fuselage is the wrong length. It's, it's a stretched C-141. Um, I think it's one of those deals where you just hedge your bets and say, well, that's part of the story, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's how it sits in the Air Force Museum today. It, it uh, you know, I certainly wouldn't knock them for that. I mean, it uh, that's how the airplane got delivered to them. So, but yeah, it, it's a very, um, uh, it's it's a very, it's not a clear cut um, thing to do. Um, I'll, I'll give you one more from the Air Force yeah. Museum. Uh, the Air Force, of course, an all Air Force uh, Apollo flight, Apollo fifteen meant that uh, uh, the Air Force Museum would get Apollo 15 uh, in, you know, as part of the collection. Now, the problem was on the J missions, as they were running out of money, they started reusing it. Well, they hadn't started. They, they'd started previously. But they reused equipment. And the reason that the Apollo 15 is on display at the Air Force Museum with the hatch closed is because the interior, the seats, uh, were used on Apollo 16. So if you want to see the inside of the Apollo 15, you'll have to go to Huntsville and look at the inside of Casper, the Apollo 16 command module. Oh, that's, um, it's very interesting. So it's uh, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> a bit of a a bit of a problem, you know, because you can't if you wanted to restore Apollo 15, you'd have to gut Apollo 16. <laughs> yeah, that that makes things tough. <laughs> Yeah, and we, won't, uh, and, we won't talk shuttles because I I get heartburn over that. Oh so. yeah, I, please. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there's so. Oh, we'll just yeah. leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's just. Oh. <sighs> yeah, um, I will. I will not say which uh, which curator told me this, it, and it wasn't it, it wasn't our our own our own Jennifer Lavasser, but one of the other one of the other curators of a shuttle was talking about how they were. Um, they were putting together the different uh, di- the different shuttle uh, uh, displays and everybody that had a shuttle. And uh, this curator told me that uh, they're going to plan all different parts of a shuttle flight. So the um, the one in Los Angeles, the Endeavor, will be shown in launch configuration. So it'll have its own little stand with a external tank and and you know have a have a tower. And uh, then in space configuration, which is Atlantis. 
with the uh, with the payload doors open and an astronaut floating around outside. And then um, uh, in landing configuration, which is how Discovery is being displayed with the landing gear down and, and uh, parked. And he said, and of course, the uh, aircraft carrier uh, configuration where it lands on the, on the <laughs> yes. uh, flight deck of the Intrepid. So. <laughs> All the different phases of flight, you know. <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, it's a... Uh, it, the, the world the world of curating museums is very uh, yeah, it's, one. it's interesting <laughs> and of course we all have our opinions and, and yes you know not knocking on, on any museum of course it's just, no 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 and you know yeah. I, I, we I, all have people, our favorites that we thought should have one let's put it that yeah, way yeah <laughs> yeah I, I I know quite well it's um as someone who helped to to work on the uh, uh the grand proposal for <laughs> For the Air Force Museum, it really was a hard time. Yeah, watching yeah. it go somewhere else. Uh, so the uh, anyway, uh, and look, you know, I, I it's nothing nothing to disparage the Intrepid Museum. It's a fantastic museum, and they've done really good job. And one thing you can one thing you can really count on with the Intrepid Museum is they managed to get money together to get Enterprise to their location. So that and that's a tough thing to do. That is very tough. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's a cool yeah. museum. I really enjoy it. It is. It is. It's just. Yeah. I know. <laughs> no, it's no, like, huh. no. Nobody else. Nobody else ran their shuttle into a barge. Um, but it, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's hard. It's hard. That's a that's a difficult thing. Um, but you know, I think more people have seen Enterprise than any other um, shuttle. So, uh, it's it, yeah. it's a good it's a good thing that it's it's somewhere that people see it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, wow. Well, anyway, now. <laughs> We've got people out there grumbling about uh, this stuff. Uh, anyway, this is a very write good a, You can write it to uh, Jim at the Apollo <laughs> 13. <laughs> don't, don't bother Chris. He just works here. <laughs> uh, it'll be it'll be fine. But uh, thanks for listening to uh, uh, this in the past 100 minutes of it. If you have some uh, pithy words you'd like to drop off with us, uh, always available on social media at uh, the Facebook Facebook has uh, Apollo 13 Mission Control. And on Twitter, of course, always uh, Apollo 13 Minute. Uh, you know all the rest of this stuff, how to subscribe. If you go to any podcatcher, we're probably on it. And uh, just subscribe, and you get us hot and fresh every morning, Monday through Friday. We're down to the last, gosh, uh, three dozen minutes, three, three, three and a half dozen minutes. So uh, subscribe now if you haven't already. If, you have, if you've missed any of the previous ones, uh, go to our main site, Apollo 13 Minute, Apollo13Minute.com. And uh, you can pick up any of our, our previous episodes, uh, some of which don't have as much controversy. So, anyway, it uh, looks like we're coming up on lost the signal in about 30 seconds, so we will see you here tomorrow on the Apollo 13 Minute.